You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. everyone and welcome to the Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This episode number 160, we're discussing Captain Marvel. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Carlos. And I'm Sanjay. Gentlemen, it is great to have you at the table to discuss Marvel's 21st entry into the MCU. The first female-led Marvel solo outing and only the second film to take place before Marvel's Iron Man. It's going to be a ton of fun digging into this. But first, we got to address the absence in the room and the man sitting next to me here, Troy the Boy. He is out again this week. We are happy to announce that he has brought, or his wife actually, she's the one that did all the work. <laughs> yeah. uh, she did the heavy lifting. <laughs> she did indeed. They welcomed their second child into this world over this past weekend. Everyone is happy and healthy. We want to send our best wishes over to his family. Yeah, Troy, uh, you know, sending my best wishes. Glad everything went well. Get lots of sleep because it's only a couple weeks till Shazam comes out. And I, uh... <laughs> Yeah, you're only allowed a hiatus of two to four weeks. So you got to yeah. fit inside that box because I'm going to be peeling out of here in the not too distant future. <laughs> and Carlos, cast. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos, welcome back to the podcast. You were here a couple of weeks ago filling in for Sanjay. And now you're taking the seat of the big man of Troy. That's right, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation, and yeah, as long as you guys keep having kids, I guess I'll keep (laughs) showing up. (laughs) Well, it's going to be an absolute blast having you here and having your voice, that input into Captain Marvel. We're all Marvel fans here. We all saw this movie this past weekend, and we all experienced it in slightly different fashions. So what we do here in the room, this whole episode is going to be dedicated completely to Captain Marvel and reviewing that. We will tag it with a spoiler warning once we get into the space. We're going to talk about details about the film, spoiling plot lines, character developments, key twists. But for the start here, we're just going to give a high-level spoiler-free review, like we always do, and just try to give our general thoughts and impressions on the film for those that have not had the chance to get out there and see it. I don't know how many people that considers, because this movie made a ton of money this weekend, and we're going to talk all about the box office. In just a few minutes. But what I want to get from you guys at the table right away here is your general experiences around Captain Marvel. Carl, it's going to throw it to you first. How was your viewing of this film? Our viewing was great. We, uh, as a family, typically do the Friday night, so the bonafide opening night. And um, it was myself, my two girls, and the wife, and uh, full theater. Uh, we saw it in 3D. Weren't able to make it to an IMAX show in, but. Uh, Full theater, very diverse crowd, um, had an interesting mix of folks around us. There was a couple crews of university students right in front of us. There was a mother-daughter team off to the one side of me, uh, my mother-daughter team off to the other side, and um, a couple real sweaty fanboys in behind <laughs> us. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting to read their reactions after the film and whatnot, but yeah. uh, it, it was a good crowd, well-behaved crowd. I didn't have to uh, yell at anybody for using their cell phone and being a tommy texter so <laughs> tommy texter yeah, it worked out well pays attention. how did the the kids your kids are a little bit older than ours how did they enjoy it you know what um always kind of turn to to the side is our 
our tradition and just kind of focusing on the two of them, no matter what movie we go see. And it's just, what did you think? And both of them had huge grins and both of them gave us uh, that. That was awesome. Really, really liked that movie. So good. Um, yeah. It, through, through the lens of wanting to sell this movie to little girls, they kicked it out of the park. So nice. That's great nice. to hear. Sanjay, how's your experience? Yeah. You did see this on Thursday, correct? Yeah, that's right. So normally I do like the Thursday seven o'clock show. But uh, with the new baby, you know, need to stay home, help out with bedtime and whatnot. So I actually did the 10, I think it was like 10, 15 show. And, you know, when you have a new child, you know, the big concern was if I was going to even stay awake for this. Um, <laughs> and did so you? I, I can admit I did stay awake for the entire thing. So that speaks to a little bit of the quality of the movie. Uh, so I sat on the IMAX screen here just beside me. And there was like a snowstorm going on. Like it was kind of like a weird, like uh, weird night come out and my car is covered in snow and i'm like what the heck is going on here did we see the movie in the same city because it definitely didn't <laughs> snow for me it's, it's in the north you know you uh you sell these over there you didn't get any snow no <laughs> zero actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> sanjay's on the wall yeah <laughs> at the climb over yeah um yeah so i saw in the imax uh 10 o'clock show pretty packed um, I can't really speak to how the 10 o'clock show was compared to other movies because, as I said, I normally see the 7 o'clock show. But, uh, yeah, um, people seem to really enjoy it. Um, I didn't get a movie poster. I tried to, but because it's a 10 o'clock show, they were all out by the time I got in. So I let you guys down, and I'm uh, eternally sorry for that, guys. Well, it's okay. I'll forgive you this time. You can go on the Internet and hunt for it and pay exorbitant amount of money for a free poster. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just get the another Aquaman one or Shazam one. Yeah, just slip it under the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also did see this on Thursday. And as I said last week, when I booked the tickets for an 8 o'clock show, and it was virtually empty. When I did walk in, I was expecting a fairly empty theater. It was yep. packed. With the exception of the first few rows, this movie was to the brim. And very active crowd, very involved crowd, especially for an 8 o'clock showing. That's usually reserved for your 7 o'clock. And they even had a fan event, I believe, at 6 or 6.30. Yeah. And we did this with, with Star Wars a few years ago, and it wasn't worth the extra money you got, popcorn or something like that. But those that kind of an active crowd is more reserved for that space. But the 8 o'clock crowd was, was quite good, very respectful. And especially when we saw the, the Stanley, the opening credit thing, everyone was clapping. Oh, and that was, that, was, that, was, that was very touching. We'll talk a little bit about that in a, in a few minutes here. But because I don't want to spoil it for anything, but there is a great opening montage and just a nod to Stanley, thank you, Stanley type thing. So the, the crowds were great, and I found that everyone was really engaged with the film, at least the people around me, the the two friends I went with. Uh, one is a bit more of a Marvel fan, the other is, is his fiance, and she enjoyed it. She said it was a fun movie, an engaging movie. She had some questions about certain things, about ties to the universe and all that, because she's not fully embedded in the whole thing. But I would say from the periphery, everyone seemed to enjoy that. And that's kind of like what we like to see coming out of these these films. Now, I'm going to put a little caveat on this whole review here as we kind of walk into the spoiler-free section of this. And this review, and I hate that I have to, to say this at the top here, this <laughs> review is going to be a normal Nerd Room review. We're going to take a deep dive into the movie itself, and we are going to dissect it. We're going to talk about the merits of the film, the story, the characters, and the overall impact of the MCU. We're going to treat this movie no different than we did Infinity War, Black Panther, Spider-Man, whatever we'll praise it where it needs to be and we'll be critical where we have to be that is what a film review is it's not meant to be disrespectful in any way but this is exactly how we are going to run this review so there's been a lot of conjecture out there and a lot of deep uh, torpedoing 
if you will. There's been a lot of issues within fandom with regards to this film and even being critical of it. So I just wanted to put that out there that we're all very respectful people, but we do have opinions and we're going to express those here. And it's not meant to be at a detriment to the movie or at an individual. This is us reviewing. This is what we do here. We discuss, we talk, and we debate things. That's all this is. No more, no less. So I don't like that I have to say that at the top here, but I want to put that on before we started talking about things. Because yes, there are highs in this movie and there are some lows. Like any Marvel movie, like any universe movie that we discuss, there's going to be that. And so this is kind of catching a bit of that expectation, I think, of a Black Panther type of film. And maybe it didn't quite deliver the same way or have that same culture impact that Black Panther did. So... Yeah, there was a bizarre cloud over this movie. It's, so it's it's yeah. a very yeah. strange space, and even into the hundred fifty million dollar opening weekend that it did have, you're seeing people react to that in a certain way. And it's this isn't we're not on that spectrum at all. We're we're fanboys at heart, and we're going to treat this with respect. But again, like I said, there's going to be places where we're going to be critical, and that's just the way movie reviews are, especially oh, podcasts. Totally. <laughs> yeah, just down the line. Right. Yeah. So Sanjay, yeah, let's yeah. let's walk through some of your your spoiler-free top end high-level thoughts on this film. You know, what did you think of Brie Larson as Captain Marvel? And again, staying away from spoilers from now. I almost gave one away. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to stop myself. But in general, what did you think of the film when you walked right into that theater? Yeah. Um, so first thoughts when I came out of it, um, high level. I'm excited to see more of Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Um you know, I thought she did a pretty good job. The movie itself, you know, was just okay for me. I came in there, maybe my expectations were too high. There were some things I liked, and there was a couple things that I didn't like. But overall, um, you know, I, I give, you know, I say, you know, it was pretty good. Um, but it didn't, it didn't uh, knock my socks off, if you will. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, my quick uh, spoiler-free quick hitter there. All right, Carlos, what are your thoughts on this coming out of the theater first time? Maybe just your personal thoughts trying to remove your, your family a little bit out of that. Personally, I I like the film. By the end of the film, certainly in the third act, like Brie Larson in the role, I was completely sold and I, I quite enjoyed her as Captain Marvel. And like Sanjay said, you're looking forward to more of her. Um, to be honest, I did find this to be a bit of a weaker effort on the part of Marvel Studios um it just there was a few things as far as um the narrative structure and a few of the choices with the direction and the way it was shot and whatnot that um I, I was actually a little surprised given the development time and um how much focus uh, Marvel Studios put on this film that uh, they didn't totally bring their a-game and you know it might be a testament to Brie Larson that you know she put this thing on her shoulders in the third act and she shone yeah figuratively and literally (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have to agree with you there you know brie larson for me was definitely a standout Uh, ben Mendelssohn was a standout here yes as far as Mm -hmm. characters go the overall story for me it was it was good it wasn't great that's kind of where i'll leave that it begs for a second viewing for me and i mentioned this last week with some of these origin stories a second viewing often brings a lot of things together because you find yourself a little bit confused and trying to put pieces together. And I find too, with us being so immersed in this universe is that we're trying to connect pieces 10 minutes down 
the line in the film. And so for me, I kind of stutter step to the film a bit and I have to remind myself, okay, the first viewing is for pure enjoyment. Take everything in. And if you want to do a second viewing to grasp most of those or to, to pick up on some of the Easter eggs and all that, that's when you do that. So some of that is my own fault. And I have to go with you, Sanjay, there a bit. Some of it is ex expectations. You know, I think mm -hmm. it's safe to say that this falls probably in the middle of the pack with regards to M MCU films. Yeah, absolutely. It plays very well inside of the context of the MCU. And when it comes to expectations, I think, and even I voiced these last week, is that I was calling this the potential prelude to Phase 4 and the beginning of Endgame. Mm -hmm. And you really don't get that in the full sense of what this could have been. And it's not really hitting the film in itself. It's just it didn't do the exact world building maybe that I expected from it. And we're going to get into all the details there. But I think overall, yeah, good film. Nick Fury, the CGI is great in here. I never questioned him once as a supporting character, which is a testament mm -hmm. to what they're able to put together here. There's some really predictable twists. And there's some twists in here that I did not see coming. No, I at all. No, me too. And so they're able to surprise us still in this universe because we have these set of expectations going forward. And they continue to, to go sideways from that and bring us different stories that aren't direct adaptations of a comic book or whatever. So I think overall it's, it's a big success for me. Oh, that's nice. perfect. Yeah. Now let's talk about this box office, guys. Last week, Sanjay, you and I put our predictions out there. You said 157 yeah. million. I said 145 million. Oh, wow. That, yeah, and that weighed on the high side of things with regards to the industry look at this. They were pegging this around 120, 130, and then once we got through Thursday, it rocketed up to 150 plus. So with this opening weekend, Captain Marvel scored $153 million domestically, Ooh, which is an close. absolute stellar performance. That's mm -hmm. very impressive. Yes, it's the seventh highest grossing opening in the MCU. And the highest new character, I say new character, not origin story, because Black Panther, I'm considering that being, you know, him introduced in Civil War. So this is the first right. time we've seen her on screen. This is the biggest opening for that. Bigger than Iron Man, bigger than everything, Captain America, whatever. Uh -huh. And the nice thing about this opening that I really, really love is that these early torpedo reviews and all that had <laughs> zero effect on yeah. this film's performance. Yeah, didn't move yeah. the needle at all. Not no. even a little bit. So this puts it just in behind Iron Man 3 as far as opening weekends with debuted with $174 million and puts us ahead of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 Ragnarok. Quite substantially ahead of Ragnarok, about $30 million. So this is a very, very wow. impressive debut for Captain Marvel. This puts it in the same frame as The Dark Knight Rises, some of the Hunger Games stuff, Rogue Ooh. One. So it's got good company as far as... Yeah it's opening weekend and when you look at domestic grosses for those 400 plus is what this is looking to do if this maintains this momentum behind it it doesn't run into shazam here till april 5th so this thing looks like it's going to do fairly well and even maybe more impressively is the international hall that it did take it opened yeah. in china with like 89 million dollars overall 302 million dollars internationally which puts it at 455 million dollars globally in Ooh. one weekend? Yeah, they're in the black by this Yeah, week. <laughs> They are definitely in the black. That's the sixth highest international opening of all time. Wow. So put wow. that into context. With regards to the cloud that you mentioned, this is in a very, very impressive performance for Captain Marvel. And this mm -hmm. is going to be really hard to top. Go forward. I don't even think Spider-Man is going to do this this year. Oh, no, no. way. No well, way. Well, I think Spider-Man will depend a lot on where 
end game yeah. concludes, right? So yeah, I guess yeah. yeah. And I think a, a little bit of Captain Marvel's box office could be attributed to that pager, right? At the yeah. end of oh, Infinity definitely. War. So yeah, yeah. Even if you weren't interested in coming out to see Captain Marvel, you were interested in which is the beauty of the MCU, right? Yeah, it's a, a built-in draw it every is. single time. No that matter that tag around the front, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really unfortunate. Troy has this in the uh, box office fantasy pool because. <laughs> This yeah. puts them substantially ahead of both of us to this point, at least. And this is well, we, a, a big film. We both passed on it twice, I think. I passed on it once, and he almost gave it up to me in oh, place okay. of Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> oh, I was near giddy when he almost passed on it, but didn't quite get there. Yeah. <laughs> so very, very impressive performance, and I'm happy to see this. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about $150 million debuts for massive studios for Disney and all this sort of thing, but... We find this so fascinating, the box office and its relative performance and how you rank this among other things. And it's great seeing performance like this, especially in light of all the BS that's been going on around this film the last two, three months at least. Well, yeah, it was unbelievable. And it was very bizarre because, like, I followed Wonder Woman's release pretty close Mm -hmm. and that had some bizarre detraction from it, like, armpits and stuff like that. That was weird. That was weird. But nothing... Nothing even remotely like this. No. It yeah, this blew my mind. Yeah. Just wait for the sequel. Wonder Woman eighty four. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I I don't know, man. Maybe they're gonna be up in arms with that. I don't know. I hope not, because uh doesn't make sense. But uh yeah, it's uh as you said, it's very confusing. Yeah, and it's it's tough. My my favorite part about Twitter lately has been uh, Sanjay's satirical takes on <laughs> on everything reg- with regards to people that are up in arms about this movie, and <laughs> it's it's been quite I'm entertaining a to watch. Asshole now. <laughs> it's it's great. I love it. <laughs> All right, guys, let's put this spoiler tag on here. We're gonna move into our spoiler section of this review. We're gonna talk a little bit about the MCU timeline. Touch on the directors a little bit, and then we're going to walk through this film chronologically to agree to a degree, hitting on some of the main characters, some of the main plot elements, and really digging deep into this film. So, spoiler warning. You've been warned. If you have not seen Captain Marvel, please push pause and come back when you have seen it. All right, so this is established to take place in 1995, so it's about 15 years prior to Iron Man 1, as it's been readjusted to a 2010 in the MCU timeline. There's some kind of cool ties to this universe. We've got Fury, Coulson, Shield. We've got the Tesseract again. <laughs> There's some nice ties to Guardians of the Galaxy with Ronan, the Kree, Korath. So to me, this this fits, like I said, really well into the MCU. Do you guys do you guys feel the same way that this really makes you feel at home? Makes you feel like things are familiar in this universe? Yeah, absolutely. Like it it very much was tucked in. And to be honest, like I almost felt that it did it a disservice like i almost would have liked carol to be able to spread her wings so to speak and um spend more time getting to know her and uh her background and allowing her to stand on her own yeah and then you know if it tangentially connects to the mcu or even if fury's the only connection i think i would have been good with that yeah but Mm -hmm. um yeah it's nice to have but i'm not i'm not one to get too sweaty about connections and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff It, it uh it's a nice bonus, but the character part is the the big driver for me. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, for me, this definitely feels like um, it fills in definitely some of the cracks of the MCU, you know, kind of connecting some of that tissue. Like, how did Fury, how did this happen? Are we in the spoiler section? Are yes, we? we are. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, how did Fury lose his eye? Like, Colston's first days, stuff like that. 
Um, it definitely feels like this is like an episode in like a TV series or something. Like the MCU to me has now become like the MC MCU episode 21, Captain Marvel. You know, it doesn't feel like this uh, film franchise anymore. It kind of feels it, like a TV series. So this definitely fills in some of those cracks, uh, some of the questions that we had. And, uh, you know, um, t- take it as you will. That's uh, that's how I thought. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. Like fitting within the MCU timeline, this is a good job at referencing particular things. But I have to align with you there a bit, Carlos, is that I wouldn't say it's a full detriment to it, but it does take some time to work back some things like the Tesseract. We didn't need an explanation there as to what that it was there. And that's how Fury got it. We all made that leap and assumption that mm-hmm. when Stark pulled it out of the ocean, it ended up in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s hands at some point. And so, and even Ronan didn't use the character enough. I like that Ronan was in there and I love the ties. I'm a big continuity guy, but sometimes you find yourself, okay, Coulson maybe a little much. I like having him back, Clark Gregg, back in the in the movie in the film universe. But I felt myself focusing on him too much sometimes and be like, mm-hmm. "When's Coulson coming back?" Yeah, we're like, yeah. And I shouldn't be asking those questions in a Captain Marvel film, right? When it's, but they set you up for it, right? Yeah, because it's like, okay, well they've put Ronan in, so let's see how they use him and how does this lead to him being the zealot that he is in yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy and what happened to Korath because he's one of the Kree soldiers and he seems like a good guy, so what leads him to being this kind of automaton for yeah. <laughs> Ronan and whatnot. And you know what? Part of it, it might be that solo effect, right? To yeah. pull it into your world where by virtue of kind of the advertising and um, just putting it in the 90s and saying that it's all connected, then you as a fan start speculating as to what you're going to see. and Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, and that, that's our expectation bar, right? That That's almost on, on me as far as what it was distracting oh, in, the, in the film. I think everybody, right? It's just... It's the nature of that. And I'd be a hypocrite to say that I don't like it. I just find that maybe tone it down a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. because I do love it. And I love that I know what universe I'm walking into and then there's particular ties. And it's just more my expectations was like, oh, we're going to get all this, this stuff described or explained to us. We're going to get phase four T's and all that. And that, again, goes to I have to lower that bar a little bit walking into these films, not because I can't expect things like that, but they can't be the hinge point of the film. i got to be focused on, on Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, first mm-hmm. and foremost. Well, and that might speak to some of the um, response from people who are fans of the movies like we are, um, looking at the two points, right? Because you're coming from it from the perspective of a guy that really likes all the minutiae. And I'm coming from it from the perspective of a guy who's like, eh, whatever, it'll it'll fill in. And if it doesn't fill in, it doesn't fill in. Yeah. Um, but it kind of didn't serve either master with that kind of trying to do too many things maybe at yeah. once. So. And that was one of the things that Iron Man 2 has, we were critical about that a little bit, was that it was Iron Man and then a S.H.I.E.L.D. episode as well, yeah. right? Establishing mm-hmm. different things. And this was a bit of a pause and try to expand out some of the things that we know and just fill in that story because they have that space to do this being that it was set in 1995. Mm-hmm. So overall I like it, but we'll get into it about how maybe it pulls a bit away from Captain Marvel. And this is just a consequence of the universe that we're in. We're 21 films in. Yeah. And yeah. so you're going to find yourself, I wouldn't say tripping over, over your continuity building, but you're having to work certain things in certain elements when I think an origin story, and this is maybe where DC is excelling a little bit is that Aquaman had almost zero references to mm-hmm. what was outside of it. Now, whether that's a consequence of they're unsure what the universe looks like outside of it now, or that was a pure focus is just, let's tell a pure Aquaman story here. 
And as we go through this, let's keep that in mind in the back of our heads with regards to was this a pure Captain Marvel story or was this, like you said, Sanjay, an episode in a larger MCU film that starred Carol Danvers as opposed to her having her own universe built around her. I felt that the MCU was the supporting elements here and they didn't build around the same way that Black Panther did. Where they yeah. took right. the they took that character out of the MCU, plunked him into Wakanda, and built a world around them. That mm-hmm. might be what we get in Captain Marvel two, because that's inevitably coming here. But that's mm-hmm. something I wanted to keep in mind as we go through this and as we progress through this. We're also going to be taking a few pit stops and talking about Carol Danvers herself with regards to character development. I look at this as three different characters that are evolving as we go through the film. We get Verge, we get Carol Danvers, and we get Captain Marvel towards the end of the film. So we're going to pause and walk through that character development and how it relates back to this wider MC universe and how she's actually going to fit into this thing. Well, it's interesting. Like I think part of what might've undermined what they were doing or where they might've overthought things is there's this new critique about origin films, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like some corners of fandom can't abide by anything. Like the, the Wayne's <laughs> getting killed in the, pre-credits of batman versus superman was like too much for them it's like oh i don't need to see this again it's yeah. like literally been one of those people yeah that that took less time than the car commercial they just made us yeah. sit through right so yeah um maybe in trying to avoid that criticism they might have pulled back from just giving her her due as a yeah. as a just straight out origin story and it's like you know come on the ride this is this is the ride we're taking you on, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, well uh, Black Panther wasn't really a straight-on origin story, you know? You didn't really, like... You kind of did, but it was, like, not told in the chronological order, so maybe they thought they could get away doing that again with this one? I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit here, about the architecture of the origin story, because Black Panther did a very similar thing, but it didn't feel as abrupt. They, they took some risks here with regards to how they told the origin story, and we'll comment on that if that worked for us or not. But before we get into that, I just want to talk quickly about the directors, the people who are driving this vehicle and for Marvel Studios into the, the debut of Captain Marvel here. And that's Anna Borden and Ryan Fleck. Now, these are two directors, a pair of directors, a writer-director duo that have worked together quite a bit. They've done films like Half Nelson with Ryan Gosling. They did uh, It's Kind of a Funny Story, Mississippi Grind, and now they're doing Captain Marvel here. So their their filmography is not something I'm incredibly familiar with. I know Half Nelson was praised quite a bit, especially for Ryan Gosling's performance there. Mm. So the the directors here, there's this pair up, this duo, and maybe not going the same way of a Patty Jenkins, right, where you have a, a quite a prominent female director do you think that these directors served what they needed to do? Were they here to execute a film or were they here to put their own spin on it? Because I'm not getting the same Ryan Coogler vibe out of these two where he put his his himself, the James Gunn, into yeah. the, the Russo brothers into that film where you got a, a very particular feel of the film, a vibe from that film. I'm not getting that out of, off these guys here. Yeah, like I, I, the filmography skews very character driven. Yeah. And I absolutely didn't get that in this no. movie like almost unfortunately <laughs> um because that's what i wanted to get the most out of it um from my understanding listening to an interview with kevin feige he said that they came in and they pitched twice and both times their pitch was the strongest for captain marvel and i know uh the reworking of her origin story was something that marvel studios wanted to do because mm-hmm. they felt it was just way too close to Hal Jordan and it's just mm. Cree soldier passing the powers on to yeah. um, Carol Danvers type of thing. So yeah, allegedly that's how they ended up with those two. But um, yeah, I that's if I was to 
level any critique at this film it would be the direction yeah yeah so yeah i don't um if you're looking at a cougar or a gun they certainly didn't meet that or even like a guy like the dude who did uh homecoming right yeah yeah exactly what's his name something yeah it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) but he was a similar indie type guy that but he delivered yeah whereas this one yeah, it, it, it felt like a bit of an obscure choice. You're looking for, I think in these universes, and maybe this is where the Captain Marvel, it sits somewhere between an Avengers film and a Guardians of the Galaxy film. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things in here, especially with the text and all that, that is right out of Guardians. And so crafting their own worlds is something that we're looking for, and that is to the writers and the directors to put their spin on it, right? And for me, like I said, it's just, I wasn't getting that. Now, this is not saying that they produced a bad movie or wrote a bad movie, but it just it didn't have that that same allure to me of a of a, a very particular tone that they're delivering or a mm-hmm. style that they're delivering this felt like almost i don't want to say that Peyton Reed delivers a very something that's expected out of Ant-Man but Ant-Man to me still feels the same way where there's not a style to it the same way you get it of some of these other guys i don't know if um, maybe a, a board what do you think Sanjay yeah well like i don't really know the filmography of these guys um well the guy and girl who uh, directed this so but marvel kind of is famous for that i mean look at the russo brothers mm-hmm. before they mm-hmm. did uh captain america what were they toiling on like you mean dupree or something like that like or they community. weren't uh, community yeah yeah oh they're on community yeah so they were from tv and then you look at james gunn like really what had he Out done up until guardians taika watiti as well but taika again watiti, when you're talking about those guys they have in the it. shadows like yeah very like small films but a very particular style to them like yes. you know yeah. these guys films when you see them these people's yeah. films when you see them, right? Yeah. And to me, that that's what's missing from here a bit is a bit of edge as far as the, the style of it all. Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, I think with all of these films, there's areas where Marvel Studios proper comes and Definitely. fills in the gaps. And you could tell that there's that scene where she's red, blue, and gold. And when it takes off from there, it's like, all right. Don't don't worry. You guys kind of work on this stuff over here. <laughs> we'll carry things yeah. forward. And well, and that that's the thing. That's sometimes the the problem with building inside of a universe, right? Is that Marvel probably said your freedom is this and this, but mm-hmm. you have to have X, Y, and Z in the film. And this film, being where it is in the release schedule, the importance of the character moving into Endgame and likely Phase Four, there's probably a lot of very specific things they need to include in this as well as things like the Cree and the scroll and all that. So my guess is that their creative freedom was a lot more limited than a guy like Kugler or Gunn, who had almost free creative freedom across the board when it came to establishing the cosmic part of this universe. So it might be less of the directors and more of the space that they're actually allowed to work in. Yeah. And that's totally fair. Yeah. Cause you yeah. look at black Panther and it's like, as long as T'Challa doesn't die at the end of that thing, yeah. <laughs> Ryan Coogler kind of could do whatever he wanted. Because exactly. Yeah. He just needed well, to be the king of Wakanda at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look at uh, Joss Whedon. Yeah. He had given him Avengers, and even they put like the handcuffs on him for Age of Ultron. Yeah. I know he fought for more uh, Hawkeye, and they're like, no, you got to add the Thor pool scene. And then it had no connectivity to Thor Ragnarok whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, Watiti wrote that out. And that's the same thing with Taika Watiti, right? They said, redo Thor. And yeah. he basically had the freedom and, you know, they, they even walked back on some of that, but they just said, your end point is Infinity War. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. And he just tell us what he's going to look like at the end, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, th- there might be a bit <laughs> of that working into this as far as this film and the lack of maybe freedom that we see from it. I'm hoping that 
in the future that they do uncuff them or, or release those shackles and let them do a little bit more with her universe. Yeah. I like that uh, Thor at the end of Ragnarok loses an eye, but then he gets it back <laughs> in Infinity War within like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to walk this back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's it's one of those. It's the, the balancing act yeah. where you have a shared cinematic universe. So if you want really director-driven auteur films, it's probably not the space that you're going to get it. But yeah. I love what I get out of the MCU. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can... I can go watch my art house film somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're definitely not looking for that. Yeah, Roma's just a click away from me. It truly is. <laughs> now let's talk about, before we get into the film proper here, let's talk about this opening title card. Now we're used yeah. to the, you know, the big swell of music that's now become very reminiscent of the opening of Marvel films and the title card where we're seeing flashes of all the characters within the MCU. This time, it was a beautiful tribute to Stan Lee, where instead of Ant-Man, Captain America, Black Panther, and all that, we get all of Stan Lee's cameos built into the Marvel Studios logo. This mm-hmm. got a round of applause from my audience, and this this really touched me. I thought this was a, a great way to tribute and say thank you to Stan Lee with his, with his passing a few months ago. Yeah, I thought it was wonderful. And I had an older lady sitting next to me, and she kind of, she, she did this kind of swoon gulp kind of thing like she got <laughs> choked up and mm. um i'd heard they were doing something and i don't know why but i just assumed it would be uh, like a single image with a quote kind of like yeah. they did at the end of um into the spider verse and that they took their logo and completely reworked it i was just it, if i could have stood up and given them a round of applause i would have definitely <laughs> yeah yeah no i agree with you guys uh that was a great tribute now the question i have is did it take um, footage from Stanley's other cameos, or was it just strictly his MCU cameos? My guess would be MCU. I, to be honest with you, it kind of caught me off guard, so I was just yeah. kind of taken aback by it. But I think on second viewing, I, the thing that sticks out to me most is the hand thing from Ragnarok, mm. and one or two of his Guardians performances that I saw in there. Yeah, there was a few like pieces of imagery where I almost thought it was kind of behind the scenes and just kind of stand yeah. there, and then mm-hmm. much like with the, and I think it was. To start and just like with the Marvel Studios saying how it begins with the art and then morphs into the mm-hmm. the uh, actual film Im- images, I think that's what they did is that they had some kind of behind the scenes footage or archive footage of Stan and then when it hits that point in the transition where the Marvel Studios typical opening goes to the film footage, they kicked it into cameo footage from the movies. Could be wrong, but I think that's how it played out. Yeah, it, it was really well done. Really well yeah. done. Oh yeah, that. yeah. And it, was, it was a great way to kind of get everyone prepared to to jump into Captain Marvel here. Now, what we're gonna do here is we're gonna walk through this film chronologically, like like I said, like we always do, and we're gonna take pit stops here and talk about certain elements of the film. But first thing I want to get your guys' opinion on. You know, we jump into this film into the deep end of things. We're thrown to the cosmic end, the cosmic beginnings of. Verge. So that's our first introduction. Mm-hmm. We get the Kree Empire, we get Hala, we get the Star Force members, and we get kind of this impression as to what Verge is going through. Um, the, these nightmares where she's seeing this older woman. And so they're starting to tease a lot here. We get thrown in with Yonrog, Jula's character here. He's her mentor, her commander. He's the one training her. So we get an abrupt invitation into captain marvel's world and we start to really experience things even down to the supreme intelligence that organic ai so they throw a lot at us right here at the start 
did you guys like the way that this kind of cold open to Hala Kree? Was it familiar because we have that experience in Guardians of the Galaxy? Carlos, what are your thoughts on kind of this immediate jump into almost explaining how they're going to do the origin, but then saying, here's everything else. Here's the training. Here's her base power set. Here's the Supreme Intelligence. And just trying to get off running without really walking too much into this film. I like the efficiency of it. Mm -hmm. And it did a really good job of world building and setting up who your players are going to be. I don't think it served Verz or Carol ultimately that well um, going that way. But as far as setting up what you're going to be working with for the duration of the movie, I thought it was very effective in that yeah. regard. Uh, yeah, to be honest with you, this kind of took me by surprise. Like it just like starts out of nowhere and you're here and then like she has this dream and she wakes up and she's talking with Jude Law and I'm like, okay, who's who's Jude Law? Like what's going on? And then like all, all of a sudden out of nowhere, she's like, want to fight? And I'm just <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like who talks like that? That kind of like threw me for a loop. But I got to admit the uh, Cree like city very cool looked exactly like blade runner like gave me that blade runner vibe uh i like that that was cool i'll give it props for that i thought that was sweet yeah you know i i like this cold open and i like going hard into to the deep end of things with regards to marvel is they expect a lot of the audience and they, they do give you context and they do give you exposition throughout the film that allows you to you know, retroactively go back and say, okay, that makes a bit more sense. Now, I like the deep end with Jude Law and you kind of get their relationship right away. It doesn't really work into much. It's it's a mentor-mentee type relationship. My, my one thing here is that I don't think they spend enough time world building on Hala. Mm -hmm. And this is a criticism that I laid at it right as I came out and you did mm -hmm. in your Lunchbox review is the scale of things. This right. is supposed to be cosmic in scale. To mm -hmm. me, this felt like it took place inside of a spaceship for the most part. And I never got that same cosmic feeling that I did from Guardians. They, to me, they don't spend enough time doing this because seeing Yongrog, the Supreme Intelligence, the Korean Empire, I love seeing this stuff. I just didn't get quite enough of it. Yeah, and to be honest, by having it so small, they kind of, once again, did a disservice to Carol in that if it's bigger and more sweeping, you can kind of paint a picture for how lost this person is mm -hmm. potentially in this world and in this empire and in this war she's Definitely. caught up in. Whereas, yeah. and I think that's kind of what they were telling you or where they're telling you she's at, but you never got that sense. And no. like, that was kind of my, my criticism of the amnesia Vares version of the character is she never seemed uncomfortable or not herself. Yeah. She always seemed um, at peace with what her reality was and able to just kind of move forward. And she was very effective and there was, you know, they show you this dream and they tell you it's unsettling, but at the same time, she doesn't really seem phased. Like Sanjay said, she's just kind of like, ah, I had a dream again. Let's go fight. And, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you know, she, she didn't lose a step with that. She was unaffected. Yeah. And I think that plays a little bit into the next scene. And this is really our first battle scene that we do see. And they, there's this idea of the Kree scroll war. And I, I, the comics going back to that again, I love the cosmic stuff. Kree scroll war is one of my favorite, favorite it's only two or three issues built into an avengers run but they don't give us enough context around that either mm -hmm. i find no. that you know you look at a film like aquaman or something like that where they zoom back and they tell what was it aquaman or one on one of them they zoom back and tell you this this really quick story about the kree scroll war or about the war in well, i can't remember it was one or whatever but that was one thing i was lacking because you never really got the sense of scale with regards to that that battle mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. kind of the animosity between the two of them, like even having her travel on that train 
and an explosion go off and they relate it to the terror. You know, you get some, some context on some screens and all that, but I want to see a bit more of that. And like you said, Carlos, I like that you pulling that out about her just feeling okay with everything. Like you, you want to see her walking through Hala and being uncomfortable and not feeling like quite herself is that's one thing that there's a bit of a disconnect between is that there's this, this big question mark with regards to her dreams, her nightmares and how unsettling they are, but also how confident she is. She exudes confidence the entire film, especially when she's Verz is that, you know, she gets captured and all of a sudden she's, you know, this force to be reckoned with and never really questions anything. Yeah. And like to jump to the end, like there is a, a journey that she goes on, but she kind of starts and finishes in the same yeah. spot, um, which which kind of comes down to direction, if you ask me. Or, yeah. And you know, once we kind of walk through the film and get to the high level stuff again, I can kind of touch on that again. But yeah. yeah, I think that was they didn't serve her well and sell their world. Yeah, as far as the Cree and Skrull go. Well, and that's what th- this film lacks a little bit is, is, like we said at the top, is the universe building around Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. You know, most characters get a, a universe built around them. And they don't, you know, I love the, this opening scene with Star Force and you get them zipping down into the water. You got the accusers bombing. Oh, and so they're, cool. they're, it's so cool what they set up there. <laughs> but they just don't take those extra few steps. Like with regards to Star Force, I like the cast. They're just not dynamic enough. You don't get enough interplay between them to make the twist at the end impactful for Carol. Mm-hmm. When they start coming after her and after the, the scrolls and all that, it feels like, yeah, this is an assassin team that has always had it out for, for Vers. Yeah. Where it should have felt like, okay, these are friends of hers that she's been on this this military team with doing these covert ops for years they should have a very intimate bond, like that bond you see in war films, like recent war films with how close, like the brotherhood of this yeah. Star Force. I never got that. Yeah, and like I think it was a misstep to do it kind of her first mission and her first day. Yeah. Um, with going to on that extraction mission on that planet because you just don't have the time to tell all those stories. So I think they would have been better served, like you said, to have her in this close-knit group and then go on a journey to a place where she now has to oppose them yeah. because of what her moral code is telling them, telling her, right? Yeah, that's that's so impactful for me. And mm. you, you can build that by just a few lines of dialogue. Yeah, just a it, tweak. Yeah, it's just it's very quick. And just to get this this reliance on each other, and you see that a bit in this opening scene. That's why I like it so much. The green suits are awesome. The CGI oh. looks good here. And you get the, the, the scroll battle, and you get that give and take with some of them. But it's not with with Vers. It's it's not enough there to make me believe that the turn later on is meaningful, and that that's a bit what I'm searching for here. Like it's a good scene, Sanjay. What do you think of this opening kind of action set piece? Yeah, um, to be honest with you, you know, you guys bring up a good point about like her not really like feeling like a with the unit. I don't even know the names of any of those other people. Like. I don't even know like Jude Law's name, like the main guy. Jan Rog. There's Jan a guy named Rog. Atlas. There's a, I, yeah, um, like did Minerva. they even mention it in the movie? Uh, like, did they see it once, maybe? If that? Yeah, they're kind of like, throwaway, right? Like, and why are some blue and some are just like regular humans? So there, there is a, a reason, for that. <laughs> a comic book reason for that. So the blue are like your pure red Cree. Okay. And they're meant to be kind of the elite. And then it's like diversity on planet Earth, right? <laughs> Not everyone's the same color. <laughs> We're the most diverse podcast <laughs> on the internet. You should know that. <laughs> all right. All right. I mean, I, it just seems kind of strange. I mean, when you look at like film like E.T., all the aliens look the same. Yeah. You know? 
Well, I diversity, understand. man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hats off to the Cree for being diverse, I guess. Uh, <laughs> one point for them. <laughs> um, the action scene, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, I didn't see the the twist coming where like there were the scrolls. Um, I was like, okay, that's kind of cool because like you never even see the scrolls before. So that, that kind of took me for a loop. So that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, you said it looked pretty cool. Like the background looked cool. Uh, the fighting, uh, the CGI was actually pretty good. This is one of the better CGI moments of the movie. So yeah, the opening scene, like that opening scene, that was pretty good. I'll give it props. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it too. The thing that I think that helped me really enjoy it is it, it felt a bit familiar. The, the aesthetic of the cosmic end of things is really Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Right down to the letterboxes about what world you're on and just the feeling, the tone of it all, it, it feels very Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think that's where they could have used a bit from that that whole world with regards to Star or the Star Force. It's just pick up on some of that, that interaction, the team interaction, all that. But as as we go through this, and there's this battle that ensues that we see Verge get captured by the Skrulls. And this is where we start to see her origin story unfold and the architecture of this origin story. Now, origin stories, like you said, Carlos, have gotten a lot of focus lately about how to do them differently, how not to do the kid powers, learn from them, misuse them type of you know hero's journey and then ending up being Captain Marvel at the end. So they've they've tried a few different methodologies throughout the MCU, whether it's introducing them in different films and then piecemeal kind of pulling it together or it's the Black Panther, which is an overall foregoing narrative where you see his power set, how he gets it, but it's part of the greater story. This takes a little bit of a, of a new methodology as far as how they craft this. Now, she's captured by the Skrulls and we get first introduced here to Talos, the commander played by Ben Mendelsohn. Now, she's subjected to this as memory probe type of thing. And this is... I, I like the idea of it, but what threw me off was the voiceover and the direction through it, them rewinding through her memories. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool thing to see them go through her memories. And, you know, we're seeing her in the military, her as a kid, her as a jet fighter, uh, the, the person that they're looking for, Annette Benning's character. I, I really like that. But him saying, no, 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 reverse. No, 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 go back. No, no, no. And we don't get any context of that until they really zoom out of that scene and we, we see her upside down in the thing. We saw that in the trailers. Mm-hmm. But th- this kind of way that they've crafted the origin story, I like the flashback thing, but you don't really understand a lot of it until later on about the effects of Annette Benning, how she connects into everything. And it, it's meant to make you think, but it did pull me out the way it was presented. Did you guys get that same vibe from that, Sanjay? What did you think of this, this new style of telling an origin story and using the memory and the rewinding and the voiceover from Talos? Yeah, no, I thought that kind of worked. Um, some of the scenes kind of seemed predictable. Where like the dad's like, "You can't go fast. You're just a girl," and stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, man! Like, who talks like that?" Um, but the one thing I did see from that scene was like, "Okay, I think the scrolls are gonna be good because one, they seem incompetent, and two, they kind of look kind of cute." <laughs> like some of the girls look kind of cute like the one with like the cupid eyes yeah the little tiny like, ones yeah i was like there's no way these guys are like completely evil so that scene i was like okay i bet you there's gonna be like a turn uh, you know because like going in i thought they're gonna be evil but uh yeah so that you know it it mostly worked for me i uh, i think the most effective part of that was with the rewinding piece and the focus because then that gave you a sense of the scrolls being on a mission and yeah. um, Carol being a means to uh, accomplish that mission. Um, the 
like honestly my biggest problem with the movie was that they kind of had three distinct arcs that they potentially wanted to take carol mm-hmm. on and it really didn't do any of them justice so some of the um the flashbacks like the flashbacks to her um being looked past and being put down and having this gender discrimination it was done phenomenally well and it was really compelling stuff but they didn't work with it enough to make it um pertinent and or not pertinent but to make it a journey for her yeah because she never experienced that with um, star force on hala with star force <laughs> yon rog treated her really well she in fact it sounds weird to say it but it almost undermined the story by having um marvel being the way she saw the supreme intelligence mm-hmm. like if she saw him as kind of the blob male type of thing that he yeah. is in the comics um, and if there wasn't also a very proficient female on Star Force, um, having those two female presences there kind of took away from that piece of the story for it. So, yeah, it, it was done really well, but they needed to decide which which master they wanted to serve through the yeah through the narrative. I, I fully agree with you. There's the two prong approach here. They they use this as an effective way to, like you said, tell the the scroll story or at least seed the idea of what they're doing and also give you her origin story. But I agree with you is that there's a message built into the origin story, but it doesn't follow through into Carol's journey throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Like it, even if you had her, you know, them saying no, you stay back from this first mission or something to that effect. Even at the end with Yonrog, someone that ultimately you know, has supported her and all that throughout this, trained her, even though he's got some underhanded mission behind it all, or at least goals and objectives. But at the end, she says, I don't need your approval anymore. And there's a message there, but the message didn't fit with the whole progression of the character, I feel. She was always seen as this very powerful woman, and we get this displayed right away here once she does escape from the squirrels in the scene. Mm -hmm. And she is handcuffed literally a bit, and but she walks through this scene and takes care of the scrolls. Oh, and this I is, thought this that was great. It's <laughs> fantastic. And I think it's a really cool way of showing the audience how powerful she is, even without her main blasters. Mm-hmm. It's a very effective way of taking away a power set very quickly to show the capability of the character outside of that power set. So they're not strictly defined by the ability to shoot things out of her hands, right? Now, Sanjay, what were your thoughts on this this kind of independent fight scene we get with with Verz here fighting the scrolls? Yeah, I thought it looked cool. Um, you know, when she breaks apart the uh, handcuffs that are kind of chained to her, you know, she just has to like shoot shoot harder. I thought that worked pretty good. Um, the one thing that didn't work was like after when she escapes, she goes into the pod, and then it seems like she's like at Earth like instantly. Like I was so confused. I thought that, I was like I thought this took place like in the middle of space, like. What's going on? I think what happened there was they were heading towards Earth because they were looking for Annette Bening's character. Mm. So I think they were already there. That was the impression I got is that they had taken her from wherever, whatever planet, and were heading towards Earth to to, to get there. And that's what they explained in the origin story type thing as the voiceover. It's a bit harder to get, but I I think that's what they're getting to, to get her back to Earth. Because that was a piece that we talked about on the trailers is how do you go from Hala to her back to earth like how do you how do you make sense yeah. out of that and i think this is about as close as you can get with that when i think there's like yeah. some dialogue about going back to c53 or it's yeah. on c53 uh, so there's I an inference that. that they're heading to the engine yeah exactly yeah. now verse cool. no this is gonna be one of our one of our 
three stops when we're talking about Captain Marvel herself. Now, we're going to talk about her first iteration here in Verse. Brie Larson, how are you guys feeling about her here in the, the first 15 minutes of the film? We got kind of a, a brief introduction to her origin. We've seen her do some uh, quite a few fight scenes here, actually, interact with some different characters. Sanjay, how are you feeling about, about Verse, about Brie Larson at the onset here? Um, to be honest, you know, I thought the fight scenes looked cool. Uh, I thought she did a good job in the fight choreography. But I just found her kind of wooden at this part. You know, like she said, like, oh, you got to suppress your emotions. So I guess, like, that's the way Vers is supposed to be. But the character itself, I was like, yeah, it's, uh, you know, she's she definitely improves by the end. But at this point, I'm like, yeah, okay, hopefully it gets better. Yeah, for me, I'm kind of where Sanjay is. Um, anybody that's followed me for, like, five minutes knows that I deep love RoboCop, right? And that's kind of what they were playing <laughs> with is that you have this character with no memories and whatnot. But um, as Verz, she seemed completely happy mm -hmm. and comfortable with where she was at and who she was, save not knowing her background. But it didn't... It, she seemed to want to know what her background was as a curiosity, more so than um, to be able to define herself and to... Yeah move forward yeah fully agree with you guys here I, I i like her actually in these opening scenes i find that the brief interaction i know i was asking for a bit more of it but that she had with jude law a bit of this quippy delivery and the physicality that she's showing here running around in bare feet in the scroll ship i, I really enjoyed this this first introduction to captain mom where i can say honestly i'm fully engaged at this point we've seen the scrolls we've seen hollow we've seen captain or we've seen verse We've seen a couple action scenes. To me, this is a great opening scene, a great first jump into Brie Larson. Save the idea that I agree with you when we're stepping back and looking at this. Her character, there's not enough yearning for more for that definition of who she is. She's quite content, like you said. Yeah. And so the driving force behind her overall character arc should be, I need to know who I am, what I am, and why I'm here. And we don't get too, too much of that until a little later on. And it's almost discovered by a very, I, I would say, a character. It's delivered, at least in this way, a character that you wouldn't expect it to come from. So that's part of the big scroll twist here about how she actually decides who she is and who she wants to be. It's less self-motivated and less driven and more driven by other characters, which I found to be quite interesting. But as we as we get back to Earth, so we managed, she managed to escape here from, from scroll custody. And she inadvertently pilots this pod back down to Earth. Ends up in Los Angeles. Now, this has to be one of your favorite scenes, Sanjay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Straight Walking to the blockbuster. The blockbuster. Yeah. 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 You must have been counting the different oh, movies yeah. that you're seeing in there, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, she picked up the right stuff. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, such a very on the nose. You see some total recall references. The one yeah. that I really saw was Hook was in there yeah i noticed that too I didn't yeah notice hook yeah yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic I was like, it wasn't alphabetical though does that drive me nuts <laughs> i was like what are they doing what kind of blockbusters is this no wonder why you guys went out of business yeah <laughs> <laughs> must have been it yeah <laughs> no no that was our first real introduction to the 90s of of earth Let, let's let's pause here quickly and just let's talk about the aesthetic that they build on earth here the soundtrack the score like how are you guys feeling about how they built the 90s up because this is somewhat of a period piece right do you think they execute it in the same way that we we've seen from guardians that uses a soundtrack quite prominently to really point out what era we're sitting in carlos what are, what are, your, what are your thoughts on the aesthetic of the 90s here i i thought it was fine like it yeah. the 90s wasn't all that long ago right <laughs> so it's 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 not as much of a clean break from 
then to today is if you have stuff set in the 70s and 80s and it it wasn't the most distinct decade either um but yeah i think they did a good job i know there's been some complaints that the 90s stuff was too on the nose i didn't think so at all like the only time i thought there was something dumb was when they had the game boy connected to the communicator that yeah. she had built i was like yeah, okay are we doing this but they didn't i i thought it was fair play it was just kind of the right amount yeah so um yeah i'm kind of with you on that you know i agree you know the right amount i love some of the jokes like the cd was loading yeah. and, oh, yeah. and, and <laughs> the, the humans were like what's going like the humans kind of like okay and then carol's like what the heck's going on um, I like the music choices, love TLC, so anytime you put that in a movie, that's a win. <laughs> uh, the one thing I thought was kind of on the nose was the No Doubt song, I'm Just a Girl. Uh, see, and like I like fighting. that. I'm a sucker for that stuff. So I, 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 yeah, I, they got points for me from that. <laughs> I, I, I like No Doubt. I like No Doubt. No doubt about it. Um, but to me, that song was like too obvious. I was like, that was like Suicide Squad. Like when you go back to watch Suicide Squad and all the song choices that match the squad members. That was like if 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 Carol Danvers was on the squad, that would have been her song. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you, you know, I I like what they did here at the nineties. Again, like you said, Cross, it's not the most distinct era of all, but they managed to work in references in there that that really made me feel like okay, we're we're in this space here. And my favorite is the dial-up internet. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And they're yeah. also just okay. We're just gonna let this load. And just it's it's the crowd reaction is like, is this real? Like, yeah. are we actually gonna wait for this? <laughs> Windows ninety five type of thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the soundtrack for Cafe too was pretty cool. Yeah, that was good. And her time. I never went to one. Did you guys ever go to an internet cafe? No. 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 <laughs> not not even me. I'm not that old. <laughs> 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 Carlos, really. <laughs> yeah the soundtrack for me the score it, it was all good it kind of it helped with the aesthetic of it all and mm -hmm. which i like so it improved my experience when we're in the 90s rather than detract from it so that's what i have to say overall about how how the the, the production design of the setting in the 90s did it wasn't too on the nose but it was enough to make me feel like okay yeah i get where we are i get where this is set and that's good enough for me and the key for us is the old school C trains so that really yes, knocked exactly. it out of the park. Yeah. <laughs> old school C trains that we still operate here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the the LA transit system is very reminiscent of the Calgary light rail transit system. So yeah. it's yeah. when you look at it, you're like, was that filmed in, in Calgary? Yeah. <laughs> well, is that the C train that you can see in Superman three? It's like the same kind of aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, is. it is the same train for yeah. sure <laughs> behind the King Eddie. So Captain Marvel's arrival on Earth. You know, attracts the presence of Shield. Now, this is a, a group and uh, a force that we're very familiar with in the MCU, and two particular agents: a, a de-aged Nick Fury and a slightly less de-aged Phil Coulson. Now, let's talk about Coulson here. He, he his presence in the film is very short, very abrupt. It's a nice nod to their future relationship, but. The thing that took me out with him was when he was sitting beside Fury and not talking. <laughs> he it does turn out that he's a scroll, yeah. but it was it was a very confusing few minutes for me. I'm sure on second viewing, it's not going to bother me at all. But I, I like that he was put in here, and I thought he was used just right. I don't think we needed any more of Coulson in this, and it establishes that nice relationship between the two of them. Yeah, it it was okay. I I didn't love Coulson in this, but um, yeah, like you said, it was a nice inclusion and. Um, he certainly has his fans. He's almost as popular as some of the yeah. costumed Avengers. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, uh, like, Carlos, you mentioned this in your review. Um, Colson didn't look as sharp as uh, Sam Jackson. No. no. In the de-aging. 
No. I don't Which even know if they put the uh, swipe of the technology on him. Like, it looks like they just put a wig on him almost. Yeah, and makeup? Yeah. Maybe. He, he kind of had that Henry Cavill lip going, like I said in my review. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was, you know, I don't know, and he was very just stern. I know that's the character, but if you watch him in Agents of the Shield, there, he's a bit more of a dynamic character. And even in the, some of the MCU films, it just, I feel like they just made his hair a little longer, spiked it up at the front, and just kind of went with him. And he's 45. Yeah. Like, they didn't, definitely didn't apply the same technology they did to Nick Fury. Because the Nick Fury stuff is, is off the chain. Like, oh, it's incredible phenomenal. what they did here. Yeah, it was yeah. weird. Like, he, he definitely, it was noticeable that he was digitally de-aged or that they had done something to make him look younger. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Sam Jackson, it was flawless. Like, if you yeah. didn't know, you'd think he filmed that thing right after he did Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it was awesome. I And I loved having Fury in this film. It was the appropriate character to be the support to Captain Marvel to, again, make you feel familiar, but also take you down a path where you could tell a little bit of Nick Fury's origin story, something that we haven't got a lot of. And did you guys like having Nick Fury? Because we, we've seen him. He's all over the trails, all over the promo material. Did you like having him in this as the supporting character, as the, the base link, the glue within the MCU, within this film to make you feel familiar? Is, is this right? Or should they have gone with random S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and introduce someone new? I don't, I don't think that's the right way because you have to do a bit more world building there. But Carlos, Nick Fury, all good? Oh, I absolutely loved him. I thought, to be honest, I... I think I might have liked him the best in this movie out of any of his appearances mm -hmm. in the MCU. He was super charming. I liked seeing some fallibility to him and that yeah. he didn't always have all the answers, but at the same time you could tell he was very proficient and very intelligent. And uh, I thought they had fantastic chemistry. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of my really getting sold on Brie in the role. And um, it, their dynamic was was fantastic and you could have almost watched a full two-hour movie of just the two of them doing whatever definitely yeah. yeah no i agree i echo those sentiments um sam jackson you know he he was excellent and uh, i'm glad they put fury in you know you don't really know a lot about him and he's kind of gone away like if you look at some of the later movies he like makes a cameo appearance in age of ultron but he's kind of like barely in it after winter soldier as well so i'm glad that he's coming back and uh yeah, I, I, I appreciate that they put him in. I'm glad that he was in that one, and he, he worked out great. As you said, Sam Jackson and Brie Larson, they had fantastic chemistry. I think they had, like, weren't they in another movie together, or am I thinking of someone else? Not sure. I can't think off the top of my head, but I think they seemed like they did. Yeah, well, the chemistry is an important piece of it all, right? Especially for two characters that are come from very different worlds. Yeah. And and that's, that's a piece that I kind of want to talk about here is that did you find that no one was shocked by anything in this film? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. We've got the Skrulls. We've got Carol Danvers. We've got eventually Goose, especially Nick Fury. He seemed shocked by absolutely nothing, which I was kind of like, this. Like if, if an alien showed up or, you know, we, we talked about this before we recorded, um, <laughs> Maria Rambeau, her friend shows up after 10 years and she doesn't seem to, like she seems upset about a few things, but it's not like, oh my God, there's my friend and the shape-shifting. Yeah. That, that threw me off a little bit that no one seemed shocked by anything. Like Talos was more shocked about that cat than anyone. Yeah. And he knew what it yeah. was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was kind of weird like that there wasn't reactions to anything. Like even the scene with the security guard yeah. where... She yeah. comes out of Blockbuster for the first time, and and granted, they took a bit of a different angle on it in that she was the person with more knowledge. She wasn't kind of lost in this strange mm -hmm. world and whatnot, but um, 
yeah, it just kind of seemed like everybody picked up what was in front of them and just ran with yeah. it as opposed to kind of those natural reactions. Even the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, it was, these are supposed to be um, this organization encountering this type of stuff for the first time ever. And yeah. Well, even the autopsy is performed. The guys yeah. are just kind of like digging through this. This is, the, the, unless there's something like post Avengers <laughs> 1, maybe <laughs> you know yeah you understand yeah. that yeah we've experienced this before but i that, that just kind of took me out a few times because I was, I was thinking if someone's shape changed in front of me or if uh some you know there's just no reaction it's just like yeah we're gonna take everything in stride here which yeah. I, yeah. I thought was kind of an interesting way to to approach all that i don't know if that saves time in in movie making it trying to make it a bit more economic but yeah. I find that Fury never reacts the way he, he reacts the way that he would in Infinity War. Yeah. You know, that that point in the MCU rather than something that happens 20, 25 years earlier. Yeah. You know, it's just like part of those little details that I think the film kind of like misses on. Um, like another one, for example, is um, the little kid when she's changing uh, Carol's costume. And she can just, like, work the alien technology on her arm, like, no problem. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, what? Like, how does she know how to do this? Like, that's crazy. And, uh, yeah, just, like, stuff like that, um, the no reactions. Like, um, the mom sees, like, this alien, shape-shifting alien that's, like, has her kid. And she just goes, <gasps> and, like, that's it. And then, like, the kid comes in, and then she sees, like, she has two moms that are, like, she's like, what? Like, how? what's going on? Like, she doesn't say anything. She's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, and She's then like, there's a scroll standing there, and they're all kind of like, "Yeah, we'll converse with this guy. Sure, he seems nice." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> now, after after we get kind of the introduction of Coulson and Shield here into this film, we move into one of our bigger action set pieces, and that's the train fight. We've seen most of this on the trailers, and it's kind of a cool set piece to see kind of evolve. But we do get one fantastic cameo out of it. Oh, oh best it, cameo, yeah. And just like the little smile she gives him, yeah. like in acknowledgement and appreciate, it was just perfect. It was it was a bit of a wink at the audience, yeah. saying like, "I'm your avatar" in regards to how you think of this man. But uh, yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, it was him reading too, Kevin Smith's oh, Mallrats yeah. scripts. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it was, it's a perfect '90s, mid '90s reference to all of that. Well, him reading I, lines from it. Ah, yeah. I don't even think Kevin Smith knew that. Like, did you see his tweet? No. He's like, I saw the movie and it's him crying. And he's oh, no like, way. I'm just so touched that like they used that in the movie. Like, I don't think they even consulted him. I think they just threw it in. And then when he was watching it, like how, how trippy would that be? Yeah. You're like, showing the selfies of him and he's all like, he's, he's that's all red eyed. Am and... That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Now, outside of this cameo thoughts on the train fight. Um, I thought it's been done better in, other comic book movies like logan or not logan uh the wolverine and spider-man 2 yeah uh the train fight for me it's kind of cool with the shape shifting and it could be anything uh, anybody i thought that was a cool aspect to it um but it wasn't a very interesting like uh place where it's taking place you know there's just some trees uh a little bit of like like a house there but like, it wasn't anything like in the wolverine it takes place in tokyo i think and in spider-man 2 you got like you're in the middle of new york city this one here just it didn't look as cool. Um, yeah, I got to give props to the extras to be honest with you because yeah. they, they did a great <laughs> job selling the um, what the reaction would be, and it was ironic yeah. that the extras are the ones um, reacting to the fantastical and not the main players. But I, <laughs> I loved how they their instinctual reaction was to latch on to um, 
Veer's because she's the younger, yeah, more <laughs> more oh, abile yeah. combatant kind of thing. And despite all the crazy things the squalors do, <laughs> all they see is this old woman, and it's like, no, what are you doing? So it, it was all right. I thought yeah. it was it had its charm for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I really like this one actually. I think it does it does two things. It it introduces her to the world that we're sitting in and moving outside of of the war right you can't just fight in the middle of a train mm -hmm. and the reaction of the people on i thought was really good but also then takes the next step and shows some of her her power set again her, her using the i can't what are they called coming out of her hands the, the her star blast yeah star blast star or whatever blast, i yeah. thought that was cool you're showing her again in that fight mode so we get a real good perception by the time we go from the scroll ship into this train fight as to her capabilities as as a warrior and I, I really like that aspect of it but yeah it was a bit short i don't there's not a huge action set piece in this film it's it's kind of these pulses of smaller set pieces that amalgamate into kind of the end where we do see her go binary but this is kind of a piece where when we look back at some of the origin stories in particular you've got your opening set, set piece a really large one in the middle and then something this climactic battle and these are a bit more more stinted as we move through this but i think effectively for the movie and the character development it does a lot of work here as far as introducing you to what inevitably is her going binary is kind of taking that that stepwise through all of this and it, and it helps set up her experience within on earth i guess as, she, as she's reintroduced to all of this and eventually we do see fury kind of taking her under his wing and saying hey we're gonna go do this at the direction of the shield director who is talos impersonating him at some point and we end up back at project pegasus now project pegasus should be familiar to those that are really into the the continuity from Avengers 1. I think it also has been referenced in a few other films, but this is just basically mm. the searching for energy type of facility. And I think it's probably the same or a very similar facility that we did see in Avengers 1. So a nice real tie there to some of the further things that we do see in S.H.I.E.L.D. and direct relation to Nick Fury with regards to researching the Tesseract. So I do like cool. that connection here. But they use this scene in particular to tell more origin story. And this is a bit of a quieter moment. We've come off the back end of a big action set piece here. And we get this insight as to who this woman is that we were seeing when she was on Hala, speaking directly with the Supreme Intelligence. There's a bit more of a more logical path, her flipping through pictures. We get that introduction to her as, as a fighter pilot. And this idea that there's this project in the background where they're trying to build what's inevitably revealed to be a light speed engine. Now, let's let's jump into some of the the kind of the things that we find out here. And this is a bit further on in the film, but Dr. Wendy Lawson, played by Annette Benning, we see her for the first time as as the Supreme Intelligence, and she's later revealed to be the one that is building this light speed engine, but is also a sympathizer to the Skrulls and is also called Marvell. Now, we speculated for, for months leading into this film as to how they're going to use Captain Marvell. Now, this is a character from the comic books that was a mentor of Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers. He does sympathize with the Earthlings. He's branded a traitor by the Kree, and eventually they come after him at his death. An eventual infusing of DNA works into the origin story of Carol. So they've used that and put a slight twist on that. What are you guys' feelings about Marvel and this idea of her origin story 
and how they tie this up and do somewhat of a sidestep from the comics, but the continuity of it all is, is relatively similar to what was done back in the 60s. Yeah, I think like they got the spirit of what happened, which is perfect. As yeah. long as you get that with any of these movies being kind of the longtime comic nerd guy, um, I'm happy with it. And so I thought they did an admirable job. Like I said earlier, they made a concerted effort to change up her origin because they felt it was too much like Hal Jordan's. So mm-hmm. um, I know that was one of Feige's mandates with this. And so not only did they change up the genesis for her powers, and I kind of thought they were going to go with one of the new... Uh, re-envisionings of that in the comics um they just reinterpreted what the original was and yeah i thought it worked brilliantly yeah. and it set up your third act and her motivation so yeah Definitely. it was it was one of the better written parts of the story for sure yeah sanjay what are your thoughts on her origin story and captain marvel here yeah no i agree uh, i actually think this uh this worked pretty well um annette benning she's a great actress she always brings it so um i thought she was pretty good in this role the origin itself, it made sense. Um, well, everything made sense except so she gets in the, the plane accident, but then she's like completely fine. I was like, that plane accident looked crazy intense. Like, there's <laughs> no way she's just getting up and being like, are you okay? Like, no way. No. And she even like took the hood off because she tried to eject. So I was like, come on, man. Like, she's just human at that point, right? Yeah. 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 So I was like, she's like she's superhuman at that point. Like, no human survi- walks away from that. But nitpicking aside i thought it worked pretty cool um i don't know anything about marvell um in the comics to know like if this like is the spirit of the character but you know i trust carlos he's a pretty reliable guy and so if he says it's it's the spirit of the character i'm gonna give the benefit of the doubt and say yeah yeah i think it definitely is and i I like the twist on this because translating captain marvel directly from the comic pages into this film would have taken some work and outside of it being Jude Law's character that they established early on, there's no other way you could really do this. I think this is executed really well. I like the idea that when she's with the Supreme Intelligence, you're seeing the person that, I can't remember the exact lines, but basically the person you admire the most. Yeah, Just, it was, it was something like somebody who is significant yeah. in your life kind of thing. So, And and I like the, the aspect I like about it is the twist they've taken with regards to her sympathizing with the Skrulls as opposed to Captain Marvel sympathizing with the Earth and that's why the, he's branded a traitor. So in the spirit of it all, yeah, it's, it's definitely Marvel. Uh, I don't know what the Captain part of it is maybe taken out, but I really like this twist on it. It's an unexpected twist for me. I didn't see this coming. I just assumed that Captain Marvel was going to be in this film. And it was going to be a throwaway. Her tagline or jet was going to be Marvel or something like that. And that's where the Captain Marvel was going to come from. But I like this. It makes sense for me. And like you said, it sets up the third act. The whole idea of what comes next is based off of what they find out here at Project Pegasus. And that really comes mm-hmm. down to her starting to understand where she came from. And, and Maria Rambeau, she's used as kind of this pivot character, which helps her then go to the next phase. So it's more of a launch pad than anything, this Project Pegasus stuff, as far as getting more clarity in origin story. And it helps piece together some of the stuff we saw in the memory thing, where, okay, we're starting to make an origin story here. So it's overall, when you were looking at the origin story and its development, I like that we're piecing it together as we go. When I was writing this review, I'm thinking, okay, the origin story is a bit bit funny for me, but this is why I think it begs for a second viewing, is that it starts to make a lot more sense as you walk through the film and in hindsight, what you're piecing together, it just asks a lot of thinking, maybe a bit more thinking that maybe you should do in a film. But I think maybe that's some of the power of this unique way of, of doing an origin story is that 
it makes you think a bit more. It makes you connect some of the pieces and it helps with the overall plot because we end up going towards New Orleans as she's seeking out Maria Rambeau here. I take the, the new quad jet, which I just picked up the Lego for, actually. <laughs> so the quad jet, which is the ultimately the precursor to the Quinjet, which is kind of a nice nod here. And this is where the, the movie slows down just a little bit and where we have to unpack a lot. This is a, a relatively quiet scene. We're in the Rambo house here. Danvers, Carol Danvers, I guess at this point, is, is reintroduced to, to her friend who thought she had died in a plane crash. This plane crash from, from 10 years ago. And we have the scrolls showing up here as well. So the scrolls knew where they were going. This is kind of a play on Nick Fury and kind of the, the shape shifting, all that. And this is where, where Talos really comes into play. We've seen him a few times throughout here. This is Ben Mendelsohn's character. We saw him on the ship. We've seen him kind of sporadically through here doing some shape shifting. But let's talk about him here. The, he was praised as one of the characters, at least at the onset, from, from the critics as as someone that steals the show here. And I think this is the point where he really shines. He says he's got the black box, that the, the squirrels are actually refugees in search of a new home being pushed out by the Kree. And this is where he has his time to shine. His reaction to the cat that's been a stowaway on, on the ship is fantastic. Ben Mendelsohn, the character of Talos as a whole, Carlos, lay it on for me. Is Does he deserve the praise that he's been getting from, from the critics? And what are your thoughts on him in this film? Yeah, he did a great job. Like he, in the first two acts, or I guess we're still in act two, um, he had just the right amount mm -hmm. of um, malice to him where he didn't give away what his intentions were. And, and quite frankly, he's this um, protector and like kind of the patriarch that's left for the the skull refugees, right? So he they certainly put him in a position before the the reveal that makes it palatable that he's going to do whatever he can to make sure that the race survives that is yeah. um that his people survive so yeah he did a great job and he he was never truly sinister um looking back through the movie that you had a hard time sympathizing with him once the reveals happened yeah. um yeah he did a great job and even acting through that makeup fantastic <laughs> Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, both when he had his own face on and with the scroll face, he was great. <laughs> yeah, Ben Mendelsohn. I mean, this guy's what he was in The Dark Knight Rises. He's in Ready Player One, so those are two of my all-time favorite movies. And now one? he's in this. He's in Rogue One too. Yeah, he's in. He's or, in all the credit. one movies. Yeah. <laughs> Rogue, Ready Player One. Yeah. Just make a combination of the two. That would be a billion-dollar movie. Uh, <laughs> Rogue, Ready Player One Rises. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, he's always the villain. So to see him actually be a good guy was kind of a surprise and it was a good acting or a good uh, casting choice. As Definitely. soon as they cast him, you're like, Hey, that guy's obviously the villain. He's always the villain. Turns out no. And I actually, I thought it was really cool that, you know, the scrolls were the refugees and they're trying to save them and you know, that you could sympathize with them. So I thought that was really cool. But then I got to ask you guys a question. Does this now rule out the secret invasion angle? Because the scrolls are now good guys. Well, that's interesting because as this was laid out in front of me, you know, going from from Talos from Ben Mendelsohn, I agree with you. It's a fantastic casting choice because my base assumption from the minute we saw the first set photo from this scrolls secret invasion, Ben Mendelsohn is the leader yep. of the scrolls, and we're gonna get this whole arc pushed into the MCU over maybe five years or something like that. And he he's fantastic in the role. 
Like I, mm-hmm. he's one of my favorite characters in here. I finally found the action figure. I got the Funko Pop nice. at the Red and White Show this nice. past weekend. So I, I love what they did. The look, the, like it's just on point. Scrolls, fantastic. And these quieter moments with him, really well done. His reaction to the mm-hmm. cat is really good. But to your point about about this twist and the the, the sympathetic characters that are now the scrolls i did not see this coming even a no. little bit mm-hmm. this completely threw me off my game i had this very set vision this comes back to expectations as to what this film was going to be and it was going to lead in the into the scroll invasion i like what they did here i like that they made me that i couldn't predict what was going to happen does it totally skew away from the idea that we could have a secret invasion i don't think so and they have to do more work a lot more work than they would have if they had just had the scroll or seeded it somewhere that there was rogue elements or that he himself used captain marvel throughout this whole film you got you felt the sympathy towards him and his family and then he twisted at the end i was still expecting some of that but there there's a specific point in here and i don't know if this is setting up secret invasion or what it does there's, when he kills the the Kree soldier in front of his daughter, mm-hmm. they they linger on that, and I don't know why they've lingered on that. Well, mm-hmm. and they actually they make it a point for him telling his wife to yeah. cover her yes. eyes and have her turn away, and yeah. and I think they do that to to show that they truly are to really sell. Yeah, because I I think we're not on an island. Everybody assumed that the green aliens with pointy ears are going to be the bad guys, <laughs> yeah. right? Regardless of how many <laughs> comics you read. So I, I think they did that to really reinforce that this is this character, regardless of how he looks, he's a father and he's um, doing what he's doing mm-hmm. in order to protect his family. So yeah. killer be killed type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it was the twist was phenomenal. And quite frankly, it was way more interesting than just yes. diving into they're the bad guys and the secret invasion. Who can you trust is coming and it gives them a lot more options. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I have a theory that I'm going to land you guys at the end of this. Okay, I got one too. Right, yeah, so good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Once we get towards the end here. And with in this scene too, this is where we get the, the reveal from, from Ben Middleton's tell us here that the Tesseract is back in play. Yeah. Now we touched on this at the top. And this is, again, going to the origins of Captain Marvel. We get the, the true essence of how she got her powers. It's, it's an explosion that she caused to try to prevent Yon-Rog, who is who's revealed here yeah. as as the villain, he, she's trying to prevent him from getting this technology, which is then described as being there's a source of energy somewhere else, and that this this engine itself is what gives her the powers, and then there's some infusion with the, with the Kree a little bit. She ends up with the the Kree blood and all that. The Tesseract being back in the universe in this way, I in our DMs I called it lazy. Mm-hmm. I. I Maybe that's the wrong word to use for it, but using an infinity stone in a space where we're almost the end of the infinity angle, the Tesseract is something that has been featured prominently. Like if you look at the history of it, we go from Captain America to Avengers. We see it in Ragnarok. We see it, uh, where else does it pop up? Um, There's one other place it pops up and it just seems like I've seen the Tesseract a lot. So when it came onto the screen, I was like, oh, that's the origin of, of her powers. Did she have the same reaction, Carlos, with regards to them using the Tesseract? Or was it fine because it's familiar and we don't need to, to describe another MacGuffin or we understand the power sets of the Infinity Stones? Tying everything into this whole Infinity arc, was that okay with you? 
Yeah, to be honest, like I, I was kind of two minds about it. Like, um, first blush, I was like, oh, okay, we're we're doing this again. Mm-hmm. But then once um, we started to unpack the movie and looking at where it's heading, it, it did a few. Th- it accomplished a few goals by using the tesseract. Number one, it showed why nobody else could duplicate the technology. Yep. Um, that Marvel was working on, and why the Kree couldn't just make another one or. Or do whatever. It also um, makes Carol unique in that she, like Vision, is um, of the Infinity Stones. Um, and I kind of like that it. she's supposed to have this next level power. And um, by having it born of the Infinity Stone, it gives you a bit of an explanation yeah. as to why it's something that Tony Stark couldn't come up with based on science and whatnot. So, yeah, I on reevaluation i didn't mind it and yeah. it was like you say using the tesseract versus any other um infinity stone it made for easy shorthand too, mm-hmm. for sure yeah, yeah. sanjay yeah. what do you think man i agree with you guys you know when i first thought i was like oh i remember that but i was like where is it again and i was like asking you guys like where did that show up and you're like god you're like come on man and it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah no carlos you make some good points um yeah, like it worked for me. Um, you know, you know it's powerful. It's an Infinity Stone, so then therefore she's powerful. So yeah, it worked for me. You know, it for me, I guess maybe it does come to this idea of expectations a little bit, and so maybe this is a bit more my fault. When I first saw it, I thought, okay, yeah, we've seen this before. We know exactly what this is. There needs, there's no explanation needed here. But at the same time, this is a point where you can use this as a way to introduce an element for. Captain Marvel 2 for her world building introduce a new element to the universe that you don't need to explain it just needs to be there mm-hmm. I, I didn't need to know that the Tesseract took a pit stop in between Tony Stark's hands and Nick Fury's Pegasus project it's you mm-hmm. know and this is me being nitpicky about about this specific element and me looking for how do you universe build in Captain Marvel and using the Tesseract is just it's a, a an idea or MacGuffin, whatever you want to call it of convenience. And then that's okay. It doesn't detract from the story. It's not a detriment to the story. It's just like you said, it, it's something that's familiar and yeah, it, it helps describe how powerful she is and mm-hmm. her relation to the infinity stones. If it gets destroyed, does her powers go away? I don't know. We'll see. Think about that. Yeah. It, it's an interesting piece of it all. And it kind of really, as a whole, that is the end of her origin story. We've seen everything now. And this is where we're going to stop and we're going to talk about Carol Danvers, the character. We see some more intimate moments with her. We see her remembering things. We see her going back with, with Monica or Maria Rambo and interactions with Monica Rambo, the young child. And eventually we see literally the changed in front of her eyes into Captain Marvel. So how are you guys feeling about, about Carol Danvers as a character? We've gone from Verge's to Carol Danvers, maybe a bit more of a humanizing of the character at this point with her interactions with Nick Fury and then going back with, with Monica. Carlos, how are you feeling about, about Carol herself at this point? Yeah, to be honest, like, um, and I'm glad you rewound it a bit. I, you know, I accepted it for what it was as you go from the Cree homeworld Vers and um, her with Fury and it still wasn't totally sold. It was kind of, okay, well, whatever, this is playing out. But um, honestly, the whole movie turned for me when she hooked up with the Rambos. Mm-hmm. And um, 
the relationship between her and Maria was, it felt very genuine and um, Brie Larson playing that role or that version of the character and having those interactions seemed to um, be really comfortable and like Maria Rambo, she almost had to do all the emotional heavy lifting for, for the movie kind of thing. And she was going to be this pin that everything pivoted around. And um, Monica was a, breath of fresh air like they did cheat a few things like when she's yeah. like oh here's your memory box and let me tell you about your relationship with dad. let me tell you about this let me but yeah. um exposition exposition yeah 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 but like those two were like utterly charming and that was when mm-hmm. i was like okay you know what i super like this gal super like like i'm all in for captain marvel carol danvers brie larson in the role um whereas before that it was they, they still had to sell me a bit um so yeah no i was i was down with it yeah i agree you know this is in the point of the film where i start to turn i'm like yeah brie larson is really captain marvel like she's nailing this role at the beginning i was like you know she's kind of wooden she has no emotion partly that's how she was written so you know i can't fault her too much on that this is when you see you know she starts to humanize she has a past. She has friends. She's making jokes with Samuel Jackson. Like when they're sitting in the bar and they're like talking, like, prove to me you're not a scroll. And then like, she's like, oh, prove to me, like, tell me some deep, dark secret that only like I know or something like that. Like, you know, she makes funny jokes and stuff. So yeah, I, uh, I thought it was pretty good. And, and she gets, uh, she gets a personality. Mm-hmm. Well, not, that's the point of this scene. I think is it's the humanizing piece. It's, yeah. it's taking her down to a level of, of two characters. Like you said, that, that, exude that kind of that that charmingness of what i think in the this film was shooting for and this is when brie larson really starts to excel in the role is that you see her her being humanized and then you move into the space where where monica like you said sanjay literally transforms her into captain marvel in front of us which yeah. i thought was a really cool touch and then we move into i've bought into carol danvers now i know the power set from verse it's like okay I framed out Captain Marvel here. And I really like that. When I sat back and looked at that, the character development is, is really well done. It's maybe not as smooth as you'd like it to be, but they do a lot of work on Captain Marvel. This is definitely a Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers film at its, at its core. And I mm-hmm. think when you look at it and kind of stutter step through it, through the evolution of the character, you can start to see that come to light because as we move to the back end of the film here, she's, she's suited up in the red and the gold and the blue. It looks fantastic on screen. We're going towards the, in the quad jet towards the, the scroll refugee ship that, um, Annette Benning's character Marvell set up. This is another point that I just want to set out there. It's real convenient. Hey, can we make this space worthy? Sure, we can do that. And then, then Maria gets into it and is like, okay, I'm going to fly to space now. Yeah. yeah. With, with an alien, a cat. and It just seemed like all of a sudden they were in space. Yeah. yeah. And they had all the things they needed at a private home in yeah. Louisiana. Which, which is, which, yeah. Exactly. Which is fine. It's convenient. We needed to go from A to B. We have this quad jet. I, I can buy into some of that. But again, it just it was because so much of this had already happened that she was just like, okay, I guess today I'm going to space. I'm going yeah. to put yourself to bed and I'll see you later. Yeah, and yeah. it kind of seemed like she hadn't been a pilot for years and yeah. years either, right? Yeah. yeah, she was working on that kind of like that single propeller type plane, right? And all of a sudden now you're flying a spaceship? Oh, they're all the same. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Man, stick up, stick uh, down, right? It's like riding yeah. a bike. Yeah. One question I have for you guys. In the costume changes, there's one where she's black and gold. 
Yeah. I thought that looked super sweet. Is that like from the comic books? Does that have any significance? Because I'm like, damn, like she should keep the black and gold look. Yeah, it might be a reference to the Miss Marvel suit. I don't know. Yeah, or it's, like um, Monica Rambeau's yeah, Captain Marvel yeah, suit. Her right? was, yeah, hers was because hers was black, white, and yeah. Then her pot, like her energy signature was gold. Yeah, and then yeah. I think the bathing suit Miss Marvel is black with the yellow symbol across. Yeah, and the, the, red the sash. chest. And the, yeah, so it may be a little bit. It's definitely. I bet if we looked hard enough, you could probably find some Captain Marvel outfits that match some of the colors that they went through there. Because uh, that was my favorite one. What was your guys' favorite one? I like the red and white one, actually. Or the the one yeah. that she ends up in. Yeah. No. I, I was kind of waiting for it. It's <laughs> like, okay, let's yeah. get to it. <laughs> now, at this, at this point in time, we can officially say that we have Captain Marvel. Even never mentioned by name, we have Captain Marvel. She's in her suit. We've got our defined power set. And now it's time to move into the final battle. So, Star Force then boards this ship that they're on, this, this scroll refugee ship. And begins, you know, the, the fight begins. We've got Danvers. We've got them bringing her before the supreme intelligence at this point once she's been captured. And she has this conversation and she finds out that the thing out of her neck is actually some sort of restraining bolt. And once that comes off, she goes straight to binary. At the same time, we get the introduction. We've had Ronan once through this, but him and the yeah. accusers. Yongrog calls in Ronan the accusers to essentially set flame to Earth. Now, Ronan, this character, <laughs> you know, I think in hindsight, he was probably used the amount he should have been used. He was just there in passing. If this character had not been introduced in Guardians of the Galaxy, I think that we would have thought that this was a fantastic cameo and use of a cosmic character to tease for later. Because that's essentially what they do, is they bring him in very briefly, he spews a few lines, and all of a sudden, he's gone again with this last ending line that will come back for the weapon and he means captain marvel so it's seeding something later on and this is one of the few points where or times where they pause and say okay we're going to set something up for later but it's for a character we already know is dead or presumed dead mm -hmm. right from guardians of the galaxy so how do you guys feel about this end battle sequence or at least the setup with the introduction of ronan and the accusers this whole idea of her restraint or taking off the restraining bolt and actually going full binary here because the CGI in this whole scene outside of what's going on inside of the ship, I think is fantastic. But stepping back here, Carlos, Ronan. Uh, yeah, it was, it was fine. Like, yeah, he, he, he looked, <laughs> he was there. Yeah. He looked yeah. a little funny. Yeah. If, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know that you needed him. Like, could that role have been played by somebody else in Star Force kind of thing? Um, but having said that, I did kind of like a few of the misdirects that they had with Yon-Rog talking to Ronan before that and mm -hmm. having this kind of um, parallel organization or parallel arm of the Kree military um, maybe looking in and him not wanting to see what they're doing. So I guess he served a role. Um, yeah. It was fine. Um it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts, yeah, To me, you know, Ronan just came off as incompetent. Um, you know, he just, like, shows up. He gets defeated rather easily. He gets defeated in Guardians of the Galaxy rather easily. But, like, I just remember back to the first, like, Guardians at the beginning when they're introducing him. And he's getting, like, that paint thrown on him. And he's getting his armor and, like, his weapon. I'm like, man, this guy is badass. 
And then to see him get defeated twice so easily, I'm like, okay, this guy's not really that badass. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think in the absence of Guardians, this, this, like I said, this would have been a good cameo. Just Easter egg. Just yeah. an Easter egg that yeah. it's, okay, this branch of the military shows up, they start bombing, Captain Marvel defeats them quite handily. It does a lot of good for Captain Marvel and showing her power set, her going binary and all this, which is awesome and I love seeing. And then he just disappears for a future film. But because we have that context already, it's a bit more difficult, I think, to say, okay, we're going to take this character seriously. I wanted more of him, but that's just because I like the universe building of it all. And yeah. so there, there's, there's a bit of fault there that Ronan maybe wasn't used as much. But I think that goes to this expectation thing again where we wanted more of him. We wanted maybe some of that insight as to why he's gone to the extreme end of, of the Kree in guardians by the time we get to guardians he didn't quite get there so he may show up down the road and i'd be okay with that um but i agree sanjay we do need to show him winning something at some point yeah. here. <laughs> he's like useless like how does this guy make the rank of general did everyone else just like call in sick that day and they're like all right you're the new general ronan he's awesome in the comic books like i really sure like... he is he yeah. has a big hammer yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Isn't as as this battle's going on, we've got Nick Fury and Maria Rambeau running around inside of the ship with the Tesseract, or trying to figure out what to do with the Tesseract here. And this is where we get Goose. Now, this cat has been present through a good chunk of the film. You know, Fury has, has some relationship with it. It's later revealed to be a flurkin, which is directly out of the comic books. The scrolls don't like it. Do you think them going full flurkin... <laughs> worked <laughs> yeah it worked i i don't the part that i had me scratching my head was just how crazy people were going for it and it's like oh goose steals the show and he's the greatest thing and this and that and i was like no he, he worked perfectly well for the role that he was in but he was a cat yeah with yeah crazy tentacles and stuff inside him and i don't uh, flurry's you fury's use of him um was probably better than his actual presence. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know why so there was so much ado about him. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah, like the guy beside me when they put on the muzzle on Goose, looked like he was gonna have like a heart attack. He's just gonna like cry. Like he like put his hands on his mouth and like he was like, oh no! Like he was so distraught. And I'm like, yeah, like you know, don't put a muzzle on a cat. But like he's obviously <laughs> gonna get he's obviously gonna get off. Like he's not he's not in any danger. Like, but he was just like acting like it was like he's acting like she like captain marvel got shot in the face or something like it was i was like what like no man like it'll be all right like just watch like the next two minutes i'm sure it'll be all right <laughs> and it was a great gag yeah so. it, it was yeah. good and the, the whole flurkin thing for me for me that i i said in the the prelude that we did last week sanjay i said there's no way they're gonna go full flurkin oh yeah this. yeah you you were adamant they weren't well, because it's crazy. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, it's, it's actually crazy. When you look at all the elements that they introduce in this film, this pocket dimension tentacled cat is is insane. But it, it kind of worked for me. You know, it was it was a bit wild and Fury holding him and again, not reacting the way that probably someone should when tentacles come out of a cat. It, yeah. it, it, it's, it's pretty crazy stuff. But it to me, it's, it's not a scene stealer. I, I never once felt, and I was waiting for the moment when this cat stole the scene. Like to me, Brie Larson, Nick Fury, or Sam Jackson, and Ben Mendelsohn are your scene stealers. Yeah. This cat is just a nice kind of nod to the crazy cosmic part of the universe, and I think it's more effectively used with 
the scrolls <laughs> yeah that they're afraid of it like oh the, the reactions brilliant the, the, that was yeah. to me the best part about having a cat in this film it, and it, it just goes i i don't really even know what ultimately it's used for other than for sucking up the tesseract yeah yeah well, well and he sucks it, up a bunch of guys yeah too, i guess right? yeah yeah but well we gotta talk about sam jackson's eye if yes. we're talking about goose Yes, because I remember uh, I said like, yeah, I I'd be okay if like that's the road they go down that he gets his eye scratched out by Goose, but then you know when it happened and then I was like reading and like watching some stuff there, everyone's like, yeah, but in Winter Soldier he's saying you know the last time I trusted someone mm-hmm. I lost an eye. That's me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and like this undercuts that scene now. It it does. It's and for me it it's a bit weird the execution of it because the cat scratches him in the eye. Which yeah. seems the the cat never showed any aggression ever, other than with the tentacles. Which I thought this yeah. is me being nitpicky, but when you scratch him in the eye, he kind of just brushes it off, right? Like, oh, it's like getting punched or whatever, right? Like it wasn't yeah. wasn't really anything to him. He assumed it would heal, put some eyes on it, he'd be fine. Right. And they even make reference to it again when they come back. He's like, oh yeah, it's fine, my eye's fine. And then he's got an eye patch a little later on, and then it turns out to be whatever. Like I don't know if he got infected. But I was expecting this Mace Windu get my arm chopped off yell when his eye comes <laughs> off, right? Right. And yeah. it was just so anticlimactic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like I didn't love it either. And like you say, it it undermines what they had built up as being a really big salient mm-hmm. event in the history of the character. Um Ben Mendelssohn when he's like, Oh no, that that's not gonna heal kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought he really sold me on that scene, but um, yeah, I, to give up such a seminal moment in Fury's history for a gag. Ugh. Yeah, a ga- and that a is... gag is what it is, right? It, it's, I had in my head, I keep coming back to this idea of expectations, and it should have been a scroll that did it, right? Where mm, he was right. standing beside who he thought was Captain Marvel. Again, this doesn't lend itself to that anymore because the scrolls turn out to be the good guys, but... There, there could have been something more because that, that, that's an important piece of it all, right? Especially yeah. in Winter Soldier about trust. The whole movie is about trust and Nick Fury's trust issues. Or even uh, a hero from the past that yeah. turned on him or something like that, right? Exactly, like, but he wears yeah. that. Like, he sees that every day. Like, that, that's a, a symbol of mistrust. Mm-hmm. And you look at that whole character through phase one and phase two, it's all about trust. Mm-hmm. They, they crafted a whole movie around that. And... It just didn't. It didn't. Didn't quite get there. Like that's. It's almost being a little nitpicky on the side of things, but building up to a moment like that, it's it, to have it taken out by Florkin. Sure, I guess. Like I accept it, but they maybe could have gone a slightly different route with it. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just built to it, like you say, there was no indication that Goose would ever hurt. Yeah. Him or Carol or anybody they it deemed to be on its side so yeah. or yeah. a couple swipes tease it right a couple swipes earlier on in the film like when he picks her up he swipes out and he goes whoa that was close and yeah. just something like that right where well, they do tease it after the car accident his eyes like all red and then they're like oh you should get that looked at and he has like the ice on it yeah but that's but what i guess what we're talking about is the cat teases the, the yeah. aggression of the cat a bit more because he seemed to be you know wielding that thing like a weapon and that's mm-hmm. i guess that's what it's used for is sam jackson's way to fight kree like that are much more powerful than him is he's got a florican in his hand. Right. So, but overall guys, as we're kind of wrapping this up, let's, let's talk about and take our last stop with, with Brie Larson's character of Captain Marvel. Now, now we've, we see her ability to destroy all these ballistic missiles that run and the accusers are fighting at the earth. She has, she overpowers Yon Rog later on and has this, this very pivotal moment to him where he says he's proud of her. 
And she says he doesn't need her approval anymore, doesn't need the approval from you, which I, I think I know there's a message there, but like we talked about <laughs> earlier, that they didn't really build too much towards that. So Captain Marvel, this is our first exposure to the full power set, the the the, the suit, this Kelly Sudaconic suit that we've seen first come out in 2012 something that feige was very adamant about having adapted into this film carlos captain marvel yeah she was great and you know like the the actiony set piece type stuff it, it looked it looked fabulous like i loved seeing her go binary i did like the fight scene i, I really liked when she launches mm-hmm. into space it was unfortunate they gave away so much of that in the trailers yeah um almost all of it really but uh, no it was cool but uh, I I was really sold on the interactions. Like that's mm-hmm. the the quieter moments were what I appreciated. Like the scene of her and Fury, Fury doing the dishes and whatnot mm-hmm. at the end and um, her commitment to the Rambos for coming back. Awesome. And yeah. that, she had arrived at that point in time and that left me saying, hey, you know what? I'd like to spend some more time with this character, which is key. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. This is Brie Larson at her best in the film. You know, she goes binary. This, she looks cool because she's kind of like glowing and she's got like those, uh, like a cloud around her or something. Like, it looks cool. You, you know, she's super powerful. Like, she mohawk. takes out the whole, yeah, she has the mohawk. She takes out the whole fleet by herself, which was completely badass. So, um, yeah, it's like, okay, I really want to see how now she plays in with the rest of the Avengers and how she fits in with Endgame. So, you know, I was completely sold. This is the part where I was like, yeah, like, you know, she's slowly starting to turn, and then finally at the end, she becomes Captain Marvel and definitely added the best as, uh, at the end. Yeah, I agree. It was a slow burn to get to this point of the character, and having talked through it here and having thought about it, I, I really, really like what they did from Verse to Carol Danvers to Captain Marvel, getting her at the end, the full scope of her power set. And yeah, Brie Larson is killing it in this role at this point. It, it took a little while to get here, and maybe that's writing, maybe that's just how the character was designed. I don't really know, but it works for me. I, I'm really liking Captain Marvel by the end here. Yeah. Are we going to jump to the end credit scenes? Oh, yeah, definitely. Just... We, we, oh, we've yeah, we've yeah. got some, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've got some ties and teasers to walk through here. So as this, as this film comes to an end, we see Carol committing to the scrolls that she's going to help them find a new home world. She gives Fury the pager. So we've seen her take right. some of those those adaptive technology skills that she does have. We've seen her use throughout the movie, give him this pager that he has. And the thing that I really like here towards the end, and this could have been the end credit scene in itself, is when Fury sits down to draft this this idea about the Protector mm-hmm. Initiative or whatever he had first here, and we get her call sign from the jet being Avenger. Mm. I love this. This was fantastic. Yeah, I didn't expect them to seed that yeah and having the avenger initiative born mm-hmm. from his interaction with carol i thought was brilliant like i liked what happened when you saw that play out in the first iron man movie mm-hmm. and granted this is the guy who was like yeah the black suit x-men of course that's what it's going to be because that's all the general audience will accept right so that's <laughs> kind of what my mindset was um when i saw that end credit scene I was like, oh, yeah, that's a cool Easter egg, but there's no way we'll ever get to the Avengers on screen kind of thing. <laughs> Here we are. Um, but I always thought that it was kind of awkward that this would be something that Fury would have thought of and that they would have as a contingency yeah. um, that the government essentially had developed. So, yeah, brilliant. 
that might have been one of my favorite world building things yes. in the movie. And it was so subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I didn't even like notice it. You know, they're like zooming in on the picture, and I'm like, what is he gonna pick up? Oh, it says Avenger. I know where this is heading. The Avengers Initiative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I agree with you. That's that's probably my favorite Easter egg of this mm-hmm. whole film. That he types it out there. Boom. Into the mid credit scene. We got two credit scenes here. Actually, we've got kind of a, uh, I guess a mid credit and a post credit. The mid credit scene, in my in my honest opinion, is a scene right out of Endgame. Oh, it's, they just oh. in the same way they've done. They did it with Winter Soldier. They've done it with a few others where they've just taken some Civil War. They did as well for for Ant Man. They just clipped you know 10, 15 seconds out here, and we get. I guess it, we go to more or less present day. So right after Infinity War, we have got Steve Rogers, Romanoff, Banner, and James Rhodes. So they're looking at the tally of people missing, which is great, and they've got the pager. They're they're powering it themselves. I don't know how they got it, <laughs> yeah, but they got their hands on it, and we see this thing flashing, and then it stops. This becomes a mm-hmm. problem for them. And who shows up behind them? Captain Marvel. Updated look. Fire, man. I, I love this new look. Sanjay, you feeling this new Captain Marvel look? Absolutely. Absolutely. The only way better would be if it was black and gold. <laughs> of course. No, Maybe this if Zack Snyder does yeah. Captain Marvel too. <laughs> that would be amazing, first off. But... Uh, <laughs> No, this this, uh, this has me so pumped for Endgame. And I hope this is... A, you know, they said um, they're only showing, what, the first 20 minutes of Endgame? Yeah. So this is probably going to take place within the first 20 minutes. So she's going to be one of the big players in the whole movie. So, wow. Yeah. You know, this is going to be sweet. Yeah, and I totally agree that this is not a conventional po- mid credit scene and that it's something they created. It It is exactly like what yeah. they did with... Civil War, in which they took a piece of the movie mm-hmm. and tacked it on to Ant-Man. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> the one thing about this scene, though, is it really sh- highlighted for me that my issues with the movie came from the directorial side of mm-hmm. the house as mm-hmm. opposed to anything that the people in front of the camera were doing because yeah. just the gravitas that yeah all those interactions and the line deliveries and the way the actors were asked to look and to pose and to address things in front of them and then she had infinitely more presence there than she did at any time in the solo movie like even when she's having the face down with ronan she didn't come off nearly as badass as she did just kind of walking up on the avengers and being like hey what's up she carries a ton of weight into this scene yeah Mm -hmm. and i know we spent this whole time with her so we have some of that but she walks in, and you're like, whoa, she's face-to-face with Captain Marvel right now. Yeah. Like, or Captain Marvel, Captain America right now. This is yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you guys. I like the longer hair. The suit's been updated. Right. It, it's it's a great scene, and much to your point, Sanjay, Cap's still got a beard, and a good chunk of yeah. that, that Endgame second trailer got, or most of it, he doesn't have a beard anymore. Mm-hmm. So we know this is happening quite early on, and we know that there's a time jump, or at least we're... We're anticipating that there's a time jump there between the beard and them making signs for all the missing people. This looks like right after Infinity War. Well, maybe she like photon blasts the beard off. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> now, the second post credit scene, I, I think every time I walk into an MCU film, I'm expecting two very impactful post credit scenes. But we usually get one and then so, somewhat of a gag. And this second one did turn out to be a gag. We've got Goose spitting up, throwing up, whatever, hairballing up. 
the Tesseract onto Fury's desk. So again, pointing towards the idea that he needs some sort of storage container for it, which leads us is at some point into Avengers with all of this. Kind of a throwaway for me, but sure, it, it, it's fine. It, it served its purpose. It kind of got a laugh out of everyone, and got to see Goose one more time. Yeah, I'm yeah. there with you 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like the it's like the Captain America or what is it the uh, Spider Man Homecoming one with like Captain America. Yeah, it, it, you know you like wait in the theaters. I think I'm just gonna like skip those ones because I like I can never. I always have to go like to the washroom after. But you I'm just never just like, know. Oh, <laughs> just hurry that up. Homecoming one was brilliant. I loved it, oh. <laughs> especially because he's got the Avenger pajamas on. Like, yeah, it, yeah, and it's so such yeah. fourth wall breaking too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, that that about wraps up the review here. We've got one more thing to do, and that's gonna lay down our recommendations. Sanjay, I'm gonna throw yes. it to you first. All right. Do you recommend Captain Marvel? Of course I do. I mean, $150 million opening weekend can't be wrong, can it? Nope. <laughs> um, to me, you know, uh, after watching this movie, some of the stuff talking through it with you guys, I was like, yeah, you know, I've, ter- I've come around on it being like, yeah, okay. At first I didn't like it, but now I can live with it and it actually works pretty well. Um, but for me still, it's just okay. Like it's not is not fantastic it's not um amazing it's not spectacular it's not spider-man <laughs> um it's uh it's just okay and um you know it's maybe a little bit disappointing uh, maybe because marvel has been coming off with such big hits but uh ever since infinity war it's only been two movies those two offerings have just been okay for me um maybe i'm just anticipating endgame and this is just kind of filler until we get to Endgame, but uh, I thought it could have been done better. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, go see it, make up your own opinion. I'm glad it's crushing it at the box office. And, you know, I'm glad a lot of people are enjoying it out there. Um, but for me, it was just, you know, it was like, instead of hitting a home run like Black Panther, it was like an infield single or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> Recommendations, Carlos. Yeah, I'd recommend that people see it. It, it, it It's fine it's fine and like nothing none like i've said a few times none of my problems are with miss larson or with the character captain marvel it, it, i i was most surprised that um the studio and the directors and knowing just the importance of the character and the scrutiny that it, this film would be under um that it really wasn't um a home run for them in all regards but whatever like it it's better than a bunch of Marvel movies and it's not as good as some others. And it's, you know, it's of a piece with the rest of the series and yeah, it's worth the watch. It's by no means will you leave the theater or turn it off at home and be like, I wasted two hours. No, it is absolutely not that. So you will most definitely find worse thing to watch on Netflix. (laughs) So don't don't watch bright. Just, you know, spend spend a couple hours with, Carol Danvers. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, it's going to be three recommends for the Nerd Room here. I, I definitely recommend this. I find these discussions quite therapeutic at times. I find myself walking through these films in a great amount of detail, hearing your guys' points, different perspectives, and I usually end up on one side or the other. I either end up not liking the film as much when I walked out, or I end up liking it a lot more. I'm on the liking a lot more, and I want and I, I really need a second viewing of this film. I like what they've done here. Yeah, there, there's some things that are just a myth for this. And some of it, I think, attributes to direct, directly to the placement of this film and maybe some of the constraints that the directors were given. 
I want them to find her universe. I don't think we have the Captain Marvel universe set up yet, but Brie Larson in this role, fantastic. Nick Fury, the CGI there, his presence in the film is great. The scroll, the twist that we see in here, all really well done, really well executed. Yeah, there's certain things about this that, that I would change, but as a whole, yeah, this is a middle-of-the-pack MCU film. And I have to also go back to the idea of my expectation bar. It was set very high. The film in itself did get close to it. It didn't really exceed that, but I find myself having to lower that a little bit because I put some of my own headcanon into those expectations, and when that's not met, that's not particularly anyone's fault but my own. So I will take some of the blame for that. But yeah, definitely a recommend here. Get out and see this in theaters. There's some really great stuff here. Really great world building, but not universe building. So I think the character of Captain Marvel is really well introduced. You're really well served. And it's definitely, definitely worth a watch. All right, guys. This has been one hell of a review. We're about two hours in here. There's a lot to break down, a lot to dissect here. <laughs> it was an absolute blast doing it. Carlos, thank you very much for filling in for Troy here, taking that seat and bringing a lot of great perspectives to this review. It's, it's been a blast having you here, man. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I feel kind of like Carol in that you had the pager and it's like, yeah. in case of emergency, here we go. Here we yeah. go. Or in case of baby, please. Yeah. yeah. Emergency, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> the, the pager's sitting there surrounded by bottles on warmers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There it is. No. He's our night nurse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, for people looking to find you on, on social media or some of the stuff that you do, why don't you throw out your, your Twitter name or whatever? Yeah, you can find me at Canadian Cape Crusader. So it's C-D-N-C-A-P-E-D-C-R-U-S-D-R <laughs> or E-R. That's but certainly one. you can find me uh, linked to hashtag Twitter gang yeah. or any of these guys. Just you're following them in de definitely. So you can find me there. And yeah, it's just lots of light nerdy stuff all the time. I don't really do politics unless something like is totally a burn my saddle. And uh, <laughs> I'm on Letterboxd under the exact same username as well. And I throw reviews and for, for genre type stuff that people would find interesting. So yeah, hit me up and uh, yeah, we can hang out. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. And Carlos will not be too far from the podcast for the foreseeable future. You know, we, we've got this rotating thing going on right now and I'm sure you'll hear his voice in the not too distant future. We've got a few movie reviews coming up here and you're always welcome, man. Oh, thanks, man. I yeah. truly appreciate that. And Sanjay, everyone knows where they can find you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where? You can grab our, our Twitter handles. They're always at the end of the episode. And if you want to be a oh, bigger right. part of this show, you can also email us at thenerdram at gmail.com. We want to give a shout out quickly to our man, Rob Wade, who endorses this podcast over at mostly14.com. And you can find everything that the Source Commonwealth is doing over at sourcecommonwealth.com. We're anticipating a title reveal or something here in the not-too-distant future. we got Celebration creeping up on us. It's a lot of exciting things, and we're going to be walking through some of the big pickups from the Red and White next week here on the podcast. That is in our collecting scope and breaking down some of the news and reviews that we didn't quite get to this week being a cop Captain Marvel-centric review. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Carlos. And I'm Sanjay. And thank you guys very much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, and Sanjay on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sanjabi. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out thenerdroom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. 
Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts from Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Telling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Road Squadron Podcast, San Diego Saber's Radio Podcast, Tattooing Sons, Retro Inc., and the Sandcrawler Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.